Good morning. Welcome to West Seattle Christian Church. And I hope you guys are ready to wrestle. If you're watching this, I hope you're ready to wrestle with a lot of really hard things today. Um, that's what this preaching and teaching thing is all about. It's about worship, of course, when we gather, whether we're doing that online or in person, but uh, it's also about doing some hard work. And so we come here ready to talk about and learn about some of the most important concepts, frankly, in the universe. And so I hope you came prepared. So we're in the midst of a series called The Epic Story. And uh, what we're doing here is giving this overarching broader story of what God is trying to tell the world about himself. And it's important that we get that right, because if we don't tell the story right, then it really doesn't matter. We've got to tell the story the way that God wants us to tell the story. And I think that's really important. So um, before we go any further, I want to take a little time to do a little bit of review because we've been doing this uh, series throughout most of the summer. And if you're just joining us, I think it might be good to catch you up. And so in week one, we talked about how God is good and he created a world full of good things. And part of the main point of that is that he's not angry with you. He's not mad at you. And then we moved into week two. We said that God not only created good things, he created you and me, tov me'od, which means really good. It's an ancient Hebrew way of saying you are just beautiful. You're not a mistake. You're not a disappointment. You're not a whoops. <laughs> um, you are full of potential. And so we jumped off of that realization that we are made tov meod, and uh, we realized that the problem isn't how we're made then, because God made us tov meod. The problem isn't how we're made. Um, we are masterpieces. The real problem is that we choose to listen to other voices. And these voices, they get in the way of God's agenda for us. And we end up in a lot of trouble when we listen to those voices. And we, we talked about how to crush those voices uh, that are whispering and creeping and vying for our attention and our allegiance. And then we moved on and we talked about how God finally found a human being in, in the story of the scriptures. He found a human being named Abraham who would actually trust God and the story that God wanted to tell in the world and to the world about himself. So God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great so that you can be a blessing to all nations. And so we came to the realization that Abraham's name wasn't made great for his own benefit. Abraham's name was made great so that he could be a blessing to the rest of the world. God's design for us as human beings from early on was to use a representative to be a blessing to the whole world. Well, then we move from there in this epic story to talk about this cycle that we find in the Bible. And we talked about how a lot of people, they, uh, they like to view this cycle in terms of sin and they label it the sin cycle. But we said uh, it's something different. Uh, what, one of the things we went over in that message, and I think it's the thing I'm, I will never back down on this. I don't think I'll ever back on it, down on it. And it's simply this, that your sin does not drive the story. It does not drive the story. And so we relabeled that cycle, the cycle of redemption, because that's what God is about. It's not your sin. This whole story, we, we, we get sucked into ourselves and we make it all about us. And I know you really want it to be about you the same way I want the whole story to be about me. Um, 
you really want it to be about you because you really like you <laughs> and I really like me. And that's how, that's how I know. Like, I love me some me. I really do. Uh, but the story isn't about me and the story is not about you. The story is about God at work in this world, his world. And it's about his limitless patience for you and me. In other words, you can't mess up so bad that God won't find you afterwards and provide a way out. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't mess up that bad. Some of you watching this, you have a testimony. You have a story about your life. Uh, you have tattoos uh, for everything because you want to show that you have a past. Uh, you, you, want, you want to show that you've messed up so bad or something like that. And you also want to show your accomplishments too. You've tried to mess it up so bad. Some of you tried to mess it up so bad that you, because you think God couldn't possibly love you back, but it's not impossible. He, he can and he will and he does. His love is limitless and he has infinite patience for you. Well, then we talked about now, if there was a way to avoid that whole cycle of messing up and then seeking God's redemption and, and Jesus giving it to us, that we could just live at peace with God if there was a, a way to avoid that. And Jesus, he comes as a man and he gives us a model to follow. Um, how do we get to that point where we don't have to keep repeating that cycle? Because if you become more and more like Jesus, then the less and less you will have to repeat that cycle. He is our prototype. So when you get to that point in your life where you don't know what to do, and this happens to most of us daily, I don't know what to do in this situation. This just happened, I don't know what to do. This person just said this to me and I don't know what to do. Uh, or you, maybe you're not even thinking that and you're just skipping to react, 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 you know? Um, we said that the main thing to do is to act like Jesus. Act like Jesus. When you don't know how to act in a certain situation, just act like Jesus, and you will never, ever go wrong with that. Now, what I will say about that is sometimes Jesus is super compassionate. Sometimes he is full of grace. Sometimes, though, he is just quiet. And you do something in a situation, and he just kind of looks at you and stares you down. And other times, in certain situations, when you read the scriptures, what does Jesus do? He gets some leather, he braids a whip, and he starts flipping over tables and scaring everybody to death. So it really, it really, he, he basically channels his Indiana Jones in some, in some, <laughs> sometimes in the scripture. Sometimes he's very much in the face of whoever it is that's talking to him. So when we say, just act like Jesus and you never go wrong with that, you gotta take that in a cer certain way. There are a lot of different layers to Jesus when you look at the situations he gets into and depending on who he's talking to. Um, so how do I, in the moment, choose which version of Jesus that I'm supposed to act like? That's the interesting question. And it takes a lot more concentration, a lot more focus on learning to be like Jesus so that you know. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. You have to try some things. You have to, you have to lift some spiritual weights to build some spiritual muscle. So we talked about this a few weeks ago. In John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That's part of breaking out of that, that cycle where you become more and more like Jesus. If you love him, you will obey his commands. If you obey his commands and act like him, then you're going to find yourself less and less often having to deal with that particular cycle. And he says further, he says, I'll, I'll ask the Father and he will send you a counselor, the spirit of truth 
which is good news for you. If you're committed to trying to act like Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in your life to help guide you in the right direction in whatever moment you find yourself in. That's the other part of the equation. That's the other part of this epic story. We're taking this story and we're putting it in ourselves and, and we're trusting that Jesus is living in us and working through us, making us more and more like him. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And as we learn to listen to this voice of God, the Holy Spirit, then we're able to know that in this particular situation or, or in this particular thing that's happening to me, I should do things this way or I should do it this way or I should be more of this right now or I should be less of this right now. In this particular situation, I need to be compassionate. And in this situation, I need to confront uh, someone with love. And in this situation, I need to stand up for this cause and let my voice be heard. And in this situation, I need to get my whip out and I need to be ready to fight for what is right. Because some things are really wrong. And Jesus confronts those things. Or in this scenario, I should just be quiet and just kind of let God do his work and he will work it out. These are all things that we learn over time as we spend more and more time listening to the Holy Spirit and we become more and more like Jesus. Now, all of that brings us up to speed to what we talked about just a few weeks ago, which is the crucifixion. At the cross, we know that Jesus delivers us. But we talked a few weeks ago about how at the crucifixion, when Jesus dies on Friday and everyone is in turmoil, on the Friday of that Holy Week. Nobody really talks about what's happening on Saturday. And we talked about this concept that God is at rest uh, in that moment. While some of the people in the world were celebrating his death and a small group of followers uh, who loved him are distressed and they're panicked and they're fearful and they're full of anxiety and stress while they are all panicking and while some others are celebrating, God is at rest. Jesus is in the grave, not worrying about anything. And you might say, yeah, duh. well, he's dead. Well, we know what happens next. So death is a kind of rest. And so kind of in the same way Jesus was sleeping in the boat in Matthew chapter eight, if you want to go and read Read that story of Jesus. He's a, the disciples and Jesus are going across the lake and a great storm comes up and he's just taking a nap. He's asleep. Uh, and the storm is on the sea and they are panicking. And he wakes up and calms down the storm. He's just sleeping through the panic, through the world as it goes on. He's just resting. In the same way, uh, in the crucifixion story, God is at rest on that Saturday. And what I would suggest to you is this, not only is God at rest, but I think Jesus is doing something that is really profound. Now that brings us completely up to speed. Moving into today, today is kind of like part one, besides the review, it's kind of a part one moving into what we're going to talk about next week. So that's a little bit of a teaser. And if you're all new to this, you need to go back. Hopefully you will and listen and watch uh, the previous ones that led into this. But um, what I want to introduce you to you is uh, this, uh, something that a lot of people aren't aware of, and that is that when Jesus is on the cross, when he is on the cross, in all the different versions of the gospel, we have seven different statements from Jesus while he is on the cross. They're recorded from his lips. And all seven of those statements 
all seven of them can be traced back to the Psalms. Specifically, they are all traced back to Psalm 22, 23, and 24. And that's really, really interesting to me because in the first century, in Jesus's day, all three of those Psalms are just one Psalm. They hadn't been broken up into three different Psalms with numbers. They were just one Psalm at, at the point of Jesus's life. They hadn't been divided yet. And what's really interesting and compelling about that is that Jesus is quoting directly, basically out of the Jewish hymnal. That's what the Psalms are. They are their songs of worship. And some of them are laments, and some of them are victorious, and some of them are just high praise, and some of them are really angry and upset and sad. Um, and Jesus is hanging on the cross, and the statements that he is making all directly link back to Psalm 22, 23, and 24. These are their songs of worship. What if Jesus isn't questioning God? What if he's worshiping when he's on the cross? This would be consistent uh, with the example of those in the scriptures who are faithful to God, the people that weather the storms, the people who go through the hard things. And in the midst of those things, they honor the Lord by worshiping and by living a worshiping life. This is Job when he loses everything. This is King David when he loses his infant baby. This is Paul and Silas when they're in prison, suffering. They are chained up. And what do they start to do? They start to worship. They aren't worshiping so that God will deliver them. It's not an equation like, oh, bad things in life happen, and the way to, to fix that is to worship, and it all gets better, like some type of magical formula. That's not what we're talking about. They worship because that's how they survive. That's how they get through the situation. An earthquake comes while Paul and Silas are worshiping. And what happens? The shackles fall off because when you worship, your shackles fall off, whatever they may be. I know a friend uh, that I, I've had, he's been my friend since seminary and brilliant mind. He won a prestigious award in our last year at the seminary for, uh, for his thesis, um, which was on worship and, um, after we left seminary, many, many years afterwards, um, uh, through Facebook, started to learn that he was um, going through a lot of health problems and they couldn't figure it out. They, they were getting diagnosed with um, diagnoses that were, one day it was this, and one day it was that, even like multiple sclerosis and um, uh, Lyme disease and all kinds of things. And he's been tested and all kinds of um gene testing and things like that. And his life has gotten progressively harder, uh, progressively worse to the point where his wife would have to pick him up. His legs would stop working. He didn't have any balance. And um, he started having to go around in a wheelchair. And to this day, none of that has really improved. 
None of it has improved. And I've watched this man of God continue to worship God, even writing worship albums and singing them because he's a magnificently talented musician. And I look at this man and, I, and every time I think about hardship in my life, he is my example. He is my example for what it looks like to give honor to God. And that is how he gets through. That is how he gets through. That is how his shackles fall off. It's so stunning for me to consider for just a moment that Jesus in his greatest moment of tragedy, when he is suffering the most, he is worshiping his way through it. And maybe that's a model for you and I. How do you handle the most traumatic moments in your life? Let's take the big stuff off the table. Let's take the word trauma off the table because that makes it sound like just the really huge stuff, right? How do you just handle the normal day in, day out stresses in your life? How do you handle those? Because if you're like me, and maybe you resonate with this, I love change, but only as long as it's my idea. But if you mess with my schedule, I don't like that kind of change. If something goes wrong with the car this week, and I wasn't planning on it, my son breaks the iPad, the weed eater stops working, your daughter throws a fit when you're ready to walk out the door and go someplace and you're late, uh, your appointment gets canceled, um, doesn't matter whatever service you're trying to get to come to your house to fix something, they're never on time. <laughs> uh, your landlord says move out, which happened to me recently uh, in my family. The stretch starts to rise. We don't have enough money to pay the bills. Whatever it is, ah, you know. How do you deal with all these little piles of stress and anxiety that happen in your life? How? What we normally do, and I've done this in the past, is I let my stress and my anxiety and my worry rise, and then I take it out on whatever friend happens to be around me, or on my spouse, or on my kids. And I, why do you do that? Why do you and I both do that? You, you take it out on the ones that are closest to you because they can't leave, right? <laughs> they have to put up with you. They have to put up with it, right? But here's what we have to understand. Worry is practical atheism, right? Worry is practical atheism. And I say, I know that's really strong, but I'm saying that as much to me as I am to you because I, I want to shock myself a little bit that when I worry, instead of my immediate reaction or my learned behavior uh, being, God, I know you've got this and I'm going to worship you anyway through this. I'm going to give my trust to you. My, my immediate reaction is, you know, I'm going to get somebody. I'm going to tell somebody. I'm going to react. But Jesus... Jesus shows us how to keep dialed in with the Spirit. How do we stay focused on the spiritual things in the midst of really difficult circumstances? And we are in the midst of really difficult circumstances. Families are having a tough time. And uh, in a few weeks, when school's supposed to start back up, maybe it won't, we don't know. What is that gonna look like for families that are already on edge? What, what are we gonna do? Um, in the midst of really difficult circumstances, big, little, or any way in between. We worship our way through it. That's what you do. That's what you do. People who are able to do that 
If you know someone who's able to do that, learn from them. Be reminded of them. Those are powerful stories, powerful testimonies. Like sometimes we testify to the power of God through our victories. And sometimes we do that through our faithfulness. Like when we're not having victories and things are hard, sometimes we, we testify to the power of God through our faithfulness. And so here's the question that I want to wrestle with. I want you to wrestle with it for about a week when we get to part two of this next week. Because how in the world can God be at rest? How in the world can Jesus be at rest? How can he be worshiping on that day as we move, as we move through the cross and into the grave with him. How can he do that? How can he be worshiping on his way to the grave? How can he do that? And that's the question that we'll tackle next time. And, and one way we're gonna do that uh, is by looking at a passage of scripture, and I'll leave it with you now, and I hope that you go read it, and then we'll pick it up again next week. And it simply says this, from Isaiah 55, verses eight through nine. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your way, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See you next time.